It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. Boy, have I missed you. My radio family missed you very, very much. Needed the two weeks off, spent a lot of time together with my beautiful wife, family. That's always a good thing, too. But I really did miss you very much, and I want to thank all the folks who sat in here for their time and their outstanding broadcast skills. And I want to thank you for listening to them. Now I have to jump right back into the slop. It's unfortunate. The slop that is Washington, D.C., the slop that is the American media, the slop that is the Democrat Party, the slop that is the American Marxist movement. But we all have to jump in in order to wrestle it to the ground, don't we, folks? And so here we are, and I hope you didn't watch the Sunday shows, except mine, of course. I hope you didn't watch them. Filled with propaganda, all saying the same thing, all bringing on January 6th committee members or the never-Trumpers, all telling us that if Donald Trump is nominated again, democracy will fail. All telling us that Donald Trump led an insurrection because he failed to act. All telling us that this was the greatest threat since the Civil War. And they're going to subpoena Trump, the Trump kids. They're going to subpoena conservative members of the House. They're going to get to the bottom of this, boy. And it's all being orchestrated by Nancy Eva Stretch Pelosi. All of it. To take attention away from her dereliction of duty to protect that building and to accept the offer of ten to 20,000 National Guardsmen, to accept the offer from law enforcement to beef up protections. So much so that I read over the holiday that the committee wants to release an interim report. Well, why do they need to release an interim report? Because they might lose power by next year this time. So this is entirely political. Entirely political. This was not an insurrection. Five people were not killed on that day. One person was killed on that day by a Capitol policeman who got away with it. And is now celebrated as some kind of a righteous hero. The only cop Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats like. The only one. The only one. Meanwhile, during the holiday, cops were murdered in the street in this country. Murdered. And there was a decision against former police officer Powell that turned my stomach in Minnesota. She never should have been charged. The individual she killed was clearly an accident. It was caught on the body cam, for God's sakes. And the individual, this 20-year-old, had a criminal record as long as my arm. And yet, because of the ambiguity in the law, this police officer, Powell, was convicted. Potter, excuse me, Potter, was convicted. Outrageous. Now, if this event on January 6th last year was an insurrection, how come nobody's been charged with committing or participating in an insurrection? 
Department of Justice, highly politicized under Joe Biden and Meritless Garland. They're looking under every rock. They're charging people with trespassing, with parading in public. Where's all the insurrection charges? There's not one. Not one. And of course, all the firearms that were used in the Capitol building by these so-called insurrectionists. Well, they didn't use any firearms. None. Oh, okay. Well, they tried to burn the building down. No, they didn't. Now, I'm not going to defend violence. I'm not going to defend what took place on January 6th with those who were violent. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that this was the greatest threat to this republic since the Civil War. The greatest threat to this republic is the Democrat Party before the Civil War, during the Civil War, and after the Civil War. That's the greatest threat, including Nancy Pelosi. She threatens our liberties more than anyone or anything else, as far as I'm concerned. But it is time for a brief history lesson. Because you're not going to get it from Chuck Todd, who's as dumb as a rock, and a political hack with a stupid haircut. You're not going to get it from George Stephanopoulos. Remember him going after women, a misogynist, when he headed the war room for the pervert-in-chief? Oh, I remember him. All these political hacks, the worst of the political hacks, now have Sunday shows to tell you what to think. But before I jump in, let me remind you of something. The greatest threat to democracy. We've had three presidents, JFK, McKinley, and Garfield, who were assassinated. Seems to me a pretty great threat to democracy. How about you? How about you? We had the Democrat Party throughout the South, post-Civil War, right up into the last century, hanging black people, the Klan and others. The party of slavery and segregation, the party of the Klan, the party of Jim Crow. That seems to me a pretty grave threat to democracy. When it comes to voting, it's not Republicans who've prevented people from voting, it's the Democrats. The Democrats want people to vote who shouldn't vote. That's a big difference, you know. Today they do. And we'll get into that later. There's lots to cover here. Tyranny knows no bounds when the Democrats are in town or when they're not in town. 2016 Russia collusion was the most aggressive, comprehensive effort to reverse an election and overthrow an elected president in American history. And the parties involved are the parties who are now self-righteously projecting about 2020 in January 6th. Chuck Todd George Stephanopoulos, Jake Tamper, all the reprobates, all the miscreants and malcontents dressed up as journalists who've destroyed the First Amendment and freedom of the press. They were all in on it. Obama and Biden, their various departments and offices, they were all in on it. 
Hillary Clinton and the Democrat Party, the DNC, they were all in on it. Perkins Coy and Mark Elias and Sussman and the other lawyers, slip and fall types, they were all in on it. All in on it. But now they say January 6th is the worth, orchestrated by Pelosi because they must. They must. January 6th, it's the first time an election was ever really challenged, don't you know, ladies? It's the first time. Well, let's disabuse these moronic hacks of this. As pointed out, even in the New York Times by a guest columnist some time ago. In January 2001, the late Representative Alcee Hastings objected to counting his state's electoral votes because of, quote, overwhelming evidence of official misconduct, deliberate fraud, and an attempt to suppress voter turnout. Sheila Jackson Lee referred to the, quote, millions of Americans who've been disenfranchised by Florida's inaccurate vote count. Maxine Waters of California characterized Florida's electoral votes as fraudulent. Vice President Al Gore presided over the meeting in 2001. He had overruled their objections. But Al Gore brought all the lawsuits. He started it. Went all the way to the Supreme Court where he tried to overturn the election system, the laws, in the state of Florida, as did the Florida Supreme Court. But the U.S. Supreme Court, under Chief Justice Rehnquist, had the guts and the wisdom and the foresight to act, to intervene, and to stop what the Democrats were doing to the Republican legislature to stop what the state Supreme Court had done. Unlike this court, which wouldn't stop what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did to the Republican legislature. In January 2005, in the wake of Mr. Bush's re-election, Democrats were more aggressive. Barbara Boxer, reprobate, California, joined Representative Stephen Tubbs Joseph, Stephanie Tubbs Jones of Ohio to lodge a formal objective to Ohio's electoral votes. The objection compelled Congress to spend two hours in debate, even though Mr. Bush won Ohio by more than 118,000 votes. Barbara Lee of California claimed that the democratic process was thwarted. Gerald Nadler, New York, the right to vote was stolen. Waters objected to dedicating her objection to the documentary filmmaker Michael Moore. Fahrenheit 9-11. It failed. But 31 members of the House and Ms. Boxer in the Senate voted to reject Ohio's electoral votes. Effectively voting to disenfranchise the people of Ohio. In January 2017, after Donald Trump's victory, Democrats in Congress once again challenged the election outcome. Jim McGovern of Massachusetts cited, quote, the confirmed and illegal activities engaged by the government of Russia. Ms. Lee of California argued that Michigan's electoral votes should be thrown out because, quote, people are horrified by the overwhelming evidence of Russian interference in our elections. She cited, quote, the malfunction of 87 voting machines. There were objections against the votes in at least nine states. And it goes on. It goes on. Well, what took place on January 6th? Was it the greatest threat to democracy in American history? Nancy Pelosi wants you to believe that. Joe Biden wants you to believe that. The Democrat Party and the media want you to believe it. This is the same cabal that is pushing to destroy our economic system, our immigration system, our financial system, our voting system, and as I said, pushed the Russian hoax, collusion, 
lies for two and a half years. March 1954, Puerto Rican nationalists, a gang, sat in the gallery at the House of Representatives, and they decided to try to kill members of the House of Representatives. This is how it was, well, actually, let me take a break before we run out of time. I want to play for you what took place and how it was reported. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin-Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin-Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin-Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. We're going to have to wait till after the bottom of the hour to do the audio because there's not enough time in this segment. But there was an outstanding piece written some time ago. This is important because you were being indoctrinated all Sunday, January 6th. They're going to push. And really, it's all aimed at attacking you. Trump supporters, painting with a broad brush, attaining, uh, attacking President Trump. You hear, if you want to hear what they're up to, listen to Liz Cheney. She's actually pretty stupid. And she goes out there and exposes the whole agenda, the whole nasty, sickening, poisonous agenda, which is to stop Trump. She would like to be president if she can, or she'd like one of the other rhino frauds to be president, one of the people that might get the uh, rubber stamp from the Cheney family or the Bush family or the usual reprobates. But it's a different time now. You know, uh, I remember when the Bushes did their best to undermine Ronald Reagan, and they've done their best to undermine Donald Trump as well, as far as I'm concerned, as they slobber all over the Obamas. Now, all that said, all that said, the point here is to try and stop Trump. Because they see that the vast majority of Republicans would support Trump for president again. Now, some of you may not. Some of you may. That's not the point. They just fear this man like nothing else. He's a great threat to democracy, they say. Not the Democrat Congress that wants to destroy the court. Even John Roberts, the feckless John Roberts, the chief justice, finally came out and said that these threats about packing the court, they're an effort effectively to intimidate judges and justices. Well, of course they are. You've got Schumer now pushing to eliminate the filibuster by January 17. Why? So they can nationalize all elections, destroy the Republican states. And it's not so every person who's allowed to vote votes. It's so every person they want will vote once, twice, more than once. And illegal aliens will be free to vote 
because you will not have ID requirements and you will not have election judges who can question the voting of individuals. And it turns out thousands, up to 12,000 foreigners actually voted in the state of Texas. That doesn't get headline news. Nobody's running with that. You can't prove fraud. You can't show fraud. 12,000 illegal aliens voting in Texas? That sounds like fraud to me. And if 12,000 illegal aliens are voting in Texas with voter ID, imagine. Imagine foreigners, not necessarily illegal aliens, even worse, just foreigners. Because they don't want any rules. The Democrat Party is embracing Marxism. And why have rules? This isn't about majoritarianism. This isn't about democracy. This is about republicanism, little r. Voting is just part of the system. It's not all the system. It's part of the system. Which is why they keep attacking the constitutional system. Which is why they have the borders wide open. Which is why they don't believe in checks and balances and separation of powers unless they can use these rules to attack a Republican president. All right, when I come back, we will start with the attack, the shooting of members of the House of Representatives on March 19, March 1, 1954. Something that Chuck Todd never talks about because he's a dumbass. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. All right, folks. March 1, 1954. Cut four, go. In Washington, D.C., ruthless, fanatic violence erupted in the halls of Congress. Three men and a woman believed to be members of the Puerto Rican nationalist gang that in November 1950 attempted the assassination of President Truman Open fire from the visitor's gallery of the House of Representatives. Five congressmen were hit. Ben F. Jensen of Iowa, Clifford Davis of Tennessee, Kenneth Roberts of Alabama, George H. Fallon of Maryland, and Albert Bentley of Michigan, who was seriously injured. So stop. Four members of Congress were shot. One seriously. From the gallery down onto the House floor. They were shot. Go ahead. Attack came as the Inter-American Conference opened in Venezuela, and it suggested the motive may have been to arouse anti-United States feeling in Latin America through an act of apparently blind violence carefully calculated to inflame America's relations with her neighbors. Estimates of the numbers of shots fired range from 15 to 30, and each bullet hole found is a grim reminder to those who were present of the terrible surprise attack. The gang, seized by shocked bystanders as they emptied their guns, was held at police headquarters as a widespread search was launched for others who shared in the plot. 
Irving Forrest, Raphael Miranda, Mrs. Lolita Lebron, Andre Cordero, the gun wielders, and to their accomplices goes the evil distinction of having perpetrated a criminal outrage almost unique in America's history. Wanton violence that shocked and stirred the nation and did only harm to the cause of the Puerto Rican people. Bullet holes can be seen in the House chamber from shots fired in 1954 by Puerto Rican nationalists. March the 1st, 1954, and that's when the four Puerto Ricans uh, entered the Capitol and the House gallery where I was working and began to shoot into the chamber. Five members of Congress were wounded. No one died. I was a staffer at that time in the gallery, and our position was to sit at the apex of the, of the gallery. And we took notes and kept abreast of what was happening. At that time, uh, we were debating a bill which is very much, almost very much in the news today. It was called the Bracero Bill. It was a bill allowing immigrant workers from the south of the, our borders to come into California and Arizona and New Mexico to work the fields and harvest the fruit and things like that. And it was pretty controversial even then. And I turned around, noticed some people came in the door, which was to my left upstairs, and then I turned around and looked at them. And, um, you know, I figured they were just tourists like so many people. And I paid no more attention to them. For some reason or another, I've never been able to fathom this, I decided I couldn't hear very well. And I still have that problem today. And so I moved my seat further down the aisle. We had stools there so I could be almost directly above the speaker's desk so I could hear better, which was true. You could hear better. And it wasn't 10 seconds after I moved that uh, I heard this loud popping noise, pow, pow, pow. And I turned around in my seat to my left and looked up and I see these people are standing up with guns in their hands and a woman was standing with them and she had a big flag and she was unfurling the flag, you know, waving the flag back and forth and uh, I ducked underneath the ledge. We had a ledge, a writing ledge and a phone right there and I subsequently found out I cut my hand and I got on the phone and to my intercom to our office and I said, there's a shooting going on out here to my boss. And everybody was scurrying and running around, and I noticed basically some people who were in the gallery, visitors, who were grappling with these people and pushing them out the door. I was in the back benches in the corner waiting to uh, be called to go to the various members' chairs to determine what they needed. And a call came in. I was in the first chair. I got up to go, and I took about two or three steps and uh, I, I recall hearing what I thought at the time sounded like firecrackers, you know, a lot, almost as if you lit a pack of firecrackers and threw them, fast, rapid reports. But in reality, about after the third step, I got sprayed with what made me feel was sand or ash or stone. And as a young man, I had done a lot of target practice inquiries. So I was well aware of what a bullet does when it hits and glances off a stone. It's, it sets off a spray, and it felt like the same thing. And immediately I remember thinking, by golly, this, these are gunshots. They're not uh, 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 firecrackers. So I hit the floor, and that's right behind uh, the elevated floor of the house. 
And then within a matter of a few moments, the, the firing ceased and there was a lot of uh, commotion on the floor and disorganization. But because I had an early realization of what was going on, my first instinct to see whether anyone was hurt. And uh, my best friend, as a matter of fact, uh, who was also a page, Bill Emerson, who I'd met uh, that about, was just several, well, a year and a half before that time, but we were roommates and best friends at school. Uh, he was also in the corner and when my assignment was made. Immediately I got up and I got Bill, and we both went onto the floor, and, and, and we determined that they needed stretchers, and some people were wounded, so we we tried to organize the pages and other people to help us out to get these conveyances. And over the process of the next half hour or so, uh, we participated in carrying three of the members out to the ambulances. And the last member that we took out, we went to the hospital with him. It's now a famous picture in several respects. It's the picture of the year uh, 1954 in Life magazine. And it was taken right outside the doors of the house as we're starting on down the steps of the Capitol. Uh, the fellow with his finger pointing in front is my best friend, Bill Emerson. He was a member of All right, Congress. folks, you get the point. It was heavily covered by the media in the 1950s, 1954. It was a direct attack against the members of the House. Four members were shot, one seriously. The House was breached. These individuals came in with weapons. They were waving the Puerto Rican flag. They wanted independence. What's interesting is there's been many votes on independence, and they all lose. So what happened to these four people? These four people who sought to murder members of the House of Representatives. Murder them. We don't have a single charge of that kind. Not one. Not even close. In the quote-unquote 700 people who've been rounded up. Not one. Not a single gun was fired except by a Capitol Police officer who killed an American Army veteran who did not have a weapon and posed a threat to nobody. As pointed out in the Daily Signal, 23 years later, President Carter commuted the sentence of one of the individuals who had cancer. Two years after that, he commuted the sentences of the other three. The one who had cancer died in 79. The other three lived long lives of leftist activism. A leftist activism. And some were treated as heroes. One got a fawning obituary in the New York Times. Carter's Secretary of State, Cyrus Vance, said the release would be a significant humanitarian gesture and would be viewed as such by much of the international community. Carter later told Congressional Hispanic Caucus members he had released them for humane reasons over 25 years was long enough. The four were unrepentant. At least two of the terrorists said they would not rule out using violent means again, which was probably the reason then-Puerto Rico Governor Carlos Romero Borrello sent Carter a strong and forceful letter against releasing unrepentant terrorists and warning of dangerous repercussions, a letter Jimmy Carter ignored. 1954. You see, because they know this isn't taught in the public schools or colleges and universities, and they know that Chuck Todd and George Stephanopoulos and the others will cover up for them, 
they just continue to repeat that January 6th is the greatest threat to American democracy since the Civil War. Not the assassination of three presidents, not 9-11, not the Democrat Party and their alliance with the Klan and lynchings. None of that. No, 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 no. Not segregation and Jim Crow. Not 9-11. January 6th. Which is why they have to keep calling it something it's not, an insurrection. Which is why they have to keep saying five people died that day when we know four of them died having nothing to do, nothing to do with an assault except one who was a protester. Who was a protester. Gets even more interesting. It's going to take a little time. You know, I'm not, you know... We're not speeding through the show. It's just going to take a little bit of time. The Weather Underground. You're familiar with the Weather Underground. People in the Weather Underground were buddies, Bill Ayers, Bernadine Dorn, with Barack Obama. And when that came out during the primaries brought up by Hillary Clinton and other Democrats, and when it came out during the general election, although feebly and passively, uh, when McCain was running against Obama, the media all but covered it up. Or really just rejected it, which is what they do all the time. They actually exploded a bomb in the Capitol building in 1971. When we come back, I want you to hear this. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Folks, they have all the networks and 98% of the news platforms, and you have me, which is why we have to take our time and go through this, because much of this you probably have heard for the first time. Well, let's get started. 1971, March 1, again, the weather underground. Bill Ayers and his buddies. Cut one, go. At one minute before one o'clock this morning, the switchboard at the Capitol received a phone call. A man's voice said a bomb would go off in the building in half an hour. At 1.30 in the morning, it did. In a small, unmarked restroom on the ground floor of the Senate side, next to a barber shop and near several small offices, including one committee hearing room, for a report on the first serious damage to the nation's foremost structure since the British burned it in 1814, here is ABC congressional correspondent Bob Clark. There was alarm for a time that other bombs might still be hidden inside the Capitol. Police used dogs specially trained to sniff out explosives in a painstaking search both inside and outside the building. The single bomb set off by a timing device left the men's room a shambles, plumbing demolished, bricks and plaster ripped from walls. Army and FBI experts sifted the debris, seeking a clue to the nature of the explosive. There was heavy damage to the nearby barber shop. Windows were smashed there and 100 feet away in the Senate restaurant where tables were overturned and a priceless stained glass mosaic destroyed. Damage estimated in the hundreds of thousands of dollars might have been far worse, but for the three-foot-thick walls in the oldest part of the Capitol. As it was, the violent explosion ripped off doors in nearby conference rooms. There was no damage to the Senate chamber itself on the floor above. Daylight revealed more smashed windows and debris. Tourists were barred from the Senate wing all day, but the entire Capitol will be reopened to the public as soon as possible. 
Everyone entering the Senate wing today had to pass a security check. The Capitol's police chief told how an operator received the bomb threat. Uh, this building will blow up in 30 minutes. Uh, evacuate the building. Uh, this is in protest of the Nixon involvement in Laos. In Laos. When George Washington, the chief of a new and shaky union, laid the cornerstone of the Capitol building, he said, it may be relied upon, it is the progress of this building that will inspire or depress the public confidence. When Lincoln first met Confederate negotiators towards the end of the Civil War, the first thing the Southerners, all former congressmen, asked was, tell me, sir, how is the Capitol? Well, after yesterday's desecration, the old place is today a little depressed, and confidence is not unshaken. ABC Capitol Hill correspondent Bob Clark reports. Officials in charge of security at the Capitol, along with Army bomb experts, were summoned to a Senate hearing. The immediate problem is to guard against any more bombings while keeping the Capitol open to the public. It was clear from the testimony about yesterday's bombing that this won't be easy. It probably was, um, or could have very well been, a clock delay device, and it very likely could have been normal dynamite, which is very easy to obtain. It could have been, oh, 15 to 20 pounds of dynamite. Uh, that amount of dynamite is very easy to bring in in a briefcase. Police did their best to keep the Capitol under tight security today with checkpoints set up to examine packages and briefcases. We tried out the security system, carrying a briefcase into a house office building, past police guards, through an underground tunnel and into the Capitol without being stopped or searched. While we may have been recognized by some guards, it's clearly almost impossible to enforce security through all six buildings linked by right, tunnels. you get the point. As the Daily Signal points out, no arrests were made. Nor were charges, charges filed in connection with the 1971 bombing of the Capitol by the Weather Underground. So there were no sentences to commute. Now, it goes on. The weathermen were at it again a dozen years later in 1983, setting off another bomb that tore through the second floor of the Capitol's north wing, according to the U.S. Senate history site, 1983, 12 years later. Moments earlier, a group calling itself the Armed Resistance Unit called in a warning to the Senate switchboard, but lives were spared only because debate had ceased earlier than expected. Over a million dollars in damage. And the reason the perpetrators gave was U.S. military involvement in Lebanon and Grenada. In 1988, the FBI arrested and charged seven men and women for the execution of the blast. All were either members of the Weather Underground or had some link to it. Some were closely associated with the May 19th communist organization. Some then pleaded deals and were eventually charged with other crimes. Some others were paroled, and one of them is still on the lam. Paroled? Under who? Under whom? Under whom? Now, Rosenberg, who was pardoned by Clinton as was another leader of the group. She was supposed to serve 58 years, didn't even come close. She's chairman of the board of Thousand Currents, the deep-pocketed funder of left-wing causes, including Black Lives Matter. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. 
To what extent are the media, the Democrat Party, and these radical Marxist movements responsible for violence in this country? They've all come together to focus on tomorrow. They cannot make the case that President Trump authorized a violent attack against the Capitol building, or as Ted Cruz now puts it, an attack by domestic terrorists, I suppose. They cannot make that case. So they're trying to make the case that it's a dereliction of duty by the president. They've covered up Nancy Pelosi's role. They will not release documents, texts, emails. They will not subpoena her records. They will not compel her testimony under penalty of criminal indictment. And the media, of course, are absolutely silent on this point. To what extent are the media and the Democrat Party and these radical groups responsible responsible for the violence that has taken place in this country. Who is it that's pushing critical race theory? A racist, Marxist ideology. Who is it that is pushing segregation? Who is it that covers up for Hunter Biden while going after the Trump children? Who is it that promotes Russia collusion, and Russia collusion has many tributaries to it. Violations of the FISA law, illegal felonious leaks, the media participation, the laundering of money to create a dossier, the unequal justice that is applied to certain individuals, with SWAT teams included, but not other individuals who, who triggered, funded, and launched what is the greatest attack, in my view, on the Republic. The phony oversight committees in Congress run by one party. The lies that were repeatedly told to the American people about President Trump and Russia. The use of the FBI and the intelligence agencies. The use of the White House, including the Oval Office. The Democrat National Committee, the Hillary Clinton campaign. The phony experts who are brought on television programs. Who call white people racists. Day in and day out. Day in and day out. The phony experts they bring on TV to call President Trump and his supporters Hitlerian, Stalinists, so forth and so on. The media, where you cannot tell the difference between the news and the opinion writers and the opinion speakers which have decided to destroy their entire profession such as it was, 
to advance an ideology and to advance the cause of a party. Who is it that unleashed the war against police officers with brazen lies by Marxists like Black Lives Matter? A group celebrated by the corporatists, by professional athletes, by ESPN, celebrated by the Democrat Party. Millions of dollars poured into their coffers. They haven't done a damn thing for black people and never will. A Marxist movement that embraces critical race theory and pushes their agenda. These corporatists, Comcast, they own NBC and MSNBC. MSNBC, the home of Joy Reid. And other individuals who are flat-out racists and bigots, homophobes and anti-Semites, who are given voice because they're radical leftists, or they're professors, or they're members of Congress, or they're members of particular ethnicity. CNN, which spends 90% of its time advancing the cause of the Democrat Party, trashing the Fox News Network, trashing its viewers, with phony reporters and journalists, all of whom are former Democrats who've worked in politics. Look at the Sunday shows. There's not a dime's worth of difference between them. How can that be? Same mindset. Same lack of morals. Same lack of values. The attack on the American system. The attack on American values. The attack on people as a result of their race. White people. The attack on people who are holding deeply to their faith. Evangelicals. Orthodox Jews. Open season. Open season. And at the same time, the American people are put down. The same time they're put down. They have no say in what's taking place in this country. You have a Department of Justice led by a man who unleashes the FBI and the Domestic Terrorism Unit, the National Security Unit, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Criminal Division, the Civil Rights Division, against parents protesting at school board meetings against the teachers' unions, against critical race theory, against the destruction. The destruction of the family structure with a transgender movement. They unleash federal law enforcement, which is colluding with the National School Board Associations and the teachers' unions and anybody else who opposes parent involvement in what their kids are learning. You have a woman who was promoted by the New York Times, the so-called 1619 Project, who spews her racism and her hate for this country, who says she doesn't understand why parents should have any say in education. After all, they're not experts. They're not experts. You have a Democrat party that spent two and a half years working with the media, one and the same, to try and reverse the 2016 election, first deny the winner, 
then try to destroy the winner. Two phony impeachments, one phony criminal investigation, multiple phony coup efforts. A federal bureaucracy utterly under control, starting with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. You have people in this country who work hard and pay taxes, who are told they don't work hard enough and they don't pay enough taxes. While they watch people, they subsidize on the dole, not working, receiving funds, not contributing to society. As Bernie Sanders pushes his welfare state communist model on the nation with the with the, ex, the aggressive support of the Democrat Party. And the use of language that Republican legislatures that are trying to, to return to some kind of semblance of a rational election system where they can actually determine if votes are legitimate or not, called Jim Crow. The Democrat Party using Jim Crow against Republicans, isn't that ironic? Well, the Democrat Party and their media thugs and mouthpieces are pushing an agenda, they call it voting rights, which has nothing to do with voting rights and everything to do with the permanent empowerment of the Democrat Party in a one-party state. That same party destroying the filibuster to get whatever it can get. That same party trying to destroy the independence of the judiciary because it demands conformity, it demands power, it demands allegiance. That same party working with big tech to shut down all debate, all debate that does not conform to the message of the current Democrat Party government or the Democrat Party period. You have one of these robber barons in the name of Zuckerberg who poured over $400 million into the last race to effectively elect Democrats and Joe Biden. Under the radar. He comes under no scrutiny whatsoever. None. None. You have hundreds of millions in dark money, unreported funds being used to back Mark Elias, who is a reprobate lawyer who has spent years trying to change the election process to ensure that Democrats win. And when there's any pushback against any of this, whether it's parents at school board meetings, whether it's taxpayers, whether it's talk show hosts, whether it's individuals on Fox News, whether it's authors, any pushback whatsoever, it has to be crushed. These same people who hate this country are now trying to define January 6th The same people who celebrated or accepted or even denied the violence of the riots that cost over $2 billion in damage, directly resulting in the lost lives of dozens of people that involved the the harming, the battery of thousands and thousands of law enforcement police officers that caused... Anarchy and trauma that was clearly an effort to overthrow this government. There's no commission investigating any of it. 
The FBI is applying most of its resources to January 6th. Black Lives Matter is celebrated at the NBA and the NFL. It's celebrated on certain streets in Washington, D.C. and New York City and around the country. Despite its allegiance and its funding support from individuals, including those who are part of the Weather Underground, who actually blew up the Capitol building, the Pentagon, the State Department, and went back again at the Capitol building. The media lie about January 6th. We all saw it. We all know there were some violent thugs who deserved to be prosecuted for their attacks on the cops in the building. But we also know there weren't a thousand of them. We also know there weren't half a million of them. We also know there weren't 800,000 of them. But we also know that President Trump had nothing to do with it. And you know how I know that, ladies and gentlemen? It would have been leaked. Because this committee is leaking everything to their favorite radical media sources. And why are we to believe the media? Why are we to believe the Democrat Party and their surrogates? Do they have the best interest of you in mind and the truth in mind? The Democrat Party has been an evil, evil party overall, an evil entity with its support of slavery and segregation, its support of the Klan and lynching, even way up into the 1960s and late and early 70s. Elements of the Democrat Party had to be put down so black people and other minorities in this country could enjoy the right to vote and a semblance of equality. And today they still reject Americanism as they embrace Marxism. And the media, this would be the same media, the New York Times, that covered up the Holocaust and whose main reporter in Berlin was a supporter of Hitler. That covered up the slaughter of the Ukrainians by Stalin, whose main reporter in Moscow was a supporter of Stalin. And covered up the real intentions of Castro, whose main reporter was a Castro supporter. That New York Times.